0: Chief of the Texas Tribune, and I'm the child of two journalists who are in the audience, Mary and Greg Ramshaw. Yes, indeed. Before I introduce my amazing panelists, I've been tasked with just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, This weekend only, if you donate to the Trib's nonprofit newsroom, you'll be entered in a drawing to win a three-night stay at the Hotel San Cristobal in Baja, California, plus round-trip airfare from Southwest Airlines. I was there last year. It's totally amazing. Text Tribune to 444-999 and donate by Sunday at midnight for a chance to win. All right, meanwhile, please silence your phones. And if you want to tweet, as you know by this point, the hashtag is TribFest17. So without further ado, let me introduce my amazing journo family uh, uh, colleagues up here. Clyde Haberman on my immediate left has been a columnist and correspondent for the New York Times for four decades. He was a foreign correspondent for 13 years reporting from Tokyo, Rome, and Jerusalem. He returned to New York in 1995 where he wrote the NYC column until 2011. Clyde's daughter, Maggie Haberman, many of you know already, is a White House correspondent for the New York Times, widely considered to be the Trump whisperer. You can ask her questions about that at the end. She joined the Times in 2015, serving as a presidential campaign correspondent covering the 2016 election. Previously she was a senior political reporter for Politico and wrote for the New York Post and the New York Daily News. Uh, So we're thrilled to have this duo here. Next to Maggie is Joe Nisera, an author and columnist for Bloomberg View. He joined Bloomberg in January after years as a sports business columnist for the New York Times. He's also written business columns for Esquire, for GQ, and was the former editorial director of Fortune. He also is an alum of Texas Monthly. uh, So he's a a local, and I just learned that Kate was actually born here, so. Uh, And Kate Nisera is the Washington bureau chief for BuzzFeed News. She rejoined BuzzFeed in 2016 after serving as its senior congressional reporter from 2013 to 2015. She started her career at the New York Daily News before covering Congress and healthcare for Politico. I'd like to start chronologically and maybe by age with the dads here uh, and, and have you give us a little sense. What was it like <laughs> parenting these two girls when you were journalists you know, early on in your, in your careers? Do you have sort of incredible stories of dragging your daughters along to work with you or on the road? What are your sort of clearest memories of, of parenting kids as journalists?
1: Well, as the oldest, I guess I'll claim first uh, firstborn rights here. Uh, Uh, I guess Maggie's first interview was uh, with uh, Mayor Ed Koch of New York back in (laughs) 1980 or 81. I was uh, City Hall bureau chief then, just before I went overseas. And uh, uh, Maggie and and her brother, Zach, who I might add is the uh, head of digital news at the New York Daily News, so we have second generation poverty (laughs) sewn up. and, and my
2: husband's a reporter, and, and her
1: husband is political editor at the Daily News. And I am fond of saying that my my youngest daughter Emma uh, is not in journalism, and she's not in the family as the smart one. Uh, <laughs> the, um, but anyway, um, I was down at City Hall, and um, my my then wife and I were were splitting, and and Maggie and her brother would be brought down on Fridays uh, to to me at City Hall, uh, and. Uh, uh, because uh, I had him on the weekends, and Maggie, uh, Maggie, there was a there's a great picture of Maggie on the, on the lap of uh, Mayor Koch, uh, and then she wound up, uh, writing at the, probably at the age of nine or ten a piece that ran the, the Daily no, News. Seven. Had was that seven. Yeah. I'm dating myself. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. The, uh, and uh, And you. <laughs> <I> and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> even worse. Uh, so. Um, anyway, age seven, uh, the Daily News in those years had something they called the Kids Page, and Maggie wrote a piece about uh, Mayor Koch. So she, she's been doing this a lot longer than you might think. <laughs>
0: Joe, what about you?
1: Well,
3: um, mm, uh, I used to uh, live in Northampton, Massachusetts when Kate was growing up, and I used to uh, work in New York, so I would leave on Tuesday mornings and come back on Friday nights. Uh, this was not great for, uh, and a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which was parenting and um, I think um, uh, Kate was originally um, reluctant to go into journalism in part because like, well, I guess this means you know you're never your dad's never around. I do have one uh, <coughs> uh, memory, however, when uh, Kate was about i don't know twelve maybe, um, I, I was uh, scolding her over something and and um, uh, I said I can't remember exactly what I said. It was something like, you know, you got, you know, you're, um, you know, I, I'm the one who gets to say whether you're doing a good job or not. And, and she said, well, you know, what about what about you? How do I? Who, who, who do you report to? And I said um, I said John Huey, who was a, a formidable uh, editor uh, then at Fortune. And she said, well, I'm going to call John Huey, and I'm going to ask him about your job. <laughs> and I said, go ahead. Here's his number. So she called John Huey, <laughs> and he answered. He, I think he, maybe he, he answered the phone. And she said, uh, hi, this is Kate Nocera. Uh, I want to know, is my dad doing a good job there or not? <laughs> and uh, John said, well, you know, uh, he's got his strengths and he's got his weaknesses. <laughs> he did. He did say that, right? <laughs> he's a good writer, but he doesn't really listen very well. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, I, I think uh, I'm looking forward to Kate talking about this because I think that uh, her initial instinct was, my God, I don't want to be a journalist. And uh, here she is. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, on the flip side of that coin, I mean, obviously, as the, the children of journalists, you clearly have um, vivid memories of you know, times when your parents got called into work or trips that you got taken along on. What daughters are your clearest memories or sort of first memories of, of your father's careers? or your mothers. I mean, some, one of you at least has a mother who's an, a journalist as well, so. You wanna start? Sure. Uh,
4: the two things really stick out in my mind. Uh, one was being around like seven or eight years old and having a lot, you know, my parents had a lot of journalist friends who would come over and talk about the news of the day and, you know, get really, have these very in-depth conversations at the dinner table that I would be forced to sit at. And I just remember, <laughs> one night like throwing my arms up in the air and just going, oh, journalists are so boring. Like, is there <laughs> nothing else you can talk about? Um, and now I do that too. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> <Yeah. Ooh. laughs> to everyone I know. Um, and then I think like the, the uh, one sort of thing that I really didn't understand at the time and now absolutely do understand was um, on September 11th, I was actually a freshman in college and it was all it was all happening and I was freaking out and I think you were
3: I was like, on a train you're
4: on a train you're on like the way to New York and uh, no one could get in touch with you for a really long time and then by the time we did um, you made it very clear that you were in fact going to work and you were going to be staying at work for a long time and you know it was, a, it was at fortune magazine at the time and um, I was just like so pissed. You know, I was just like, why why are you why are you going there? Why are you staying there? Why don't you go back to Massachusetts? And that impulse to run, uh, run towards the news when news is happening, and to like you know, just whatever's going on, you you gotta do your job, it's your job. That was not something I understood then and certainly certainly get now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's really well put. I, I I don't actually have a ton to add to that. I mean the the I rem- my first memory of my dad as a journalist was uh when he was covering Jimmy Carter and my mother had us watching television so I, I must have been four and uh she said there's Papa and pointed to the the screen and I thought that's cool um but uh i i you know i didn't I didn't have any interest in becoming a journalist um i mean I, I didn't have any interest in becoming a newspaper journalist I wanted to be a magazine writer, and no one would hire me, which is probably wise but um the uh, as my editors would attest, but um, but I got a job as a copy kid at the New York Post, um, and and I fell in love with it. And I it was really the first time, uh, first of many times that I understood, um, as Kate put it, I think very very well, the desire to run toward the news, often when other people are running away. But you have to do a lot
0: these days. Yeah, and, yeah. Clyde. What's the first moment where you remember? Um, acknowledging Maggie as a peer as opposed to a child?
1: Oh, that happened probably when she was two years old. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, So that that may have been the first time. Uh, Oh, it's been a long time. Look, she's a great reporter. I'm not saying anything that nobody in this room doesn't know. Uh, And uh, uh, talk about, you know, the child exceeding the parent. This is a clear case of it. But, um, you know, it was... I'm not sure if you're going to ask this, so I'll volunteer it. It it was difficult. Put it this way. Look, Maggie and her brother uh, were um, um, children of a divorce. And so they would, when I was overseas, uh, they would come um, uh, visit me summers, um, Christmas vacation, (coughs) maybe one or two other times uh, in between. Uh, And on one level, it's quite glamorous, because knocking around Japan and and Turkey and Italy and Jerusalem and so on. But uh, it was hard on them. Uh, the, the, a lot of the burden of my career fell on, on my older kids. So to some degree, I'm still amazed that they went into this line of work. And news, to get to, to that theme about chasing the news, it would conspire against us more times than I could uh, admit to. That, uh, or, uh, for example, uh, there had been a ton of news Uh, Almost every time they were there, and I made a really firm uh, resolution to myself in the summer of 1987 that uh, I was Tokyo-based then. That this was going to be a summer that I really don't write too much, spend a lot of time with Maggie and Zach, uh, and but I had to first go over to Korea, where the ruling party still in the hands of military dictators. uh, We're going to have a pro forma uh, uh, session, nominate. Um, their bum of the week for the be president. And, uh, <laughs> and i made, you know write a perfunctory story or two and then fly back to Tokyo and really spend the summer there. But what happened was Korea had its pro-democracy uprising uh, while I was there. I didn't get home for six weeks. Uh, uh, same thing happened in 1989, now Rome-based, and co- I was covering sort of the pimples of the uh, uh, anti-communist revolution, and one of the pimples was Romania. Uh, and. Uh, um, Ceausescu, Nikolai Ceausescu, the longtime uh, dictator, was overthrown, uh, and I ran off uh, to uh, Romania, and um, this was like December twenty second or so, nineteen eighty nine, uh, and the kids came over the next day to Rome for Christmas holidays. I never saw them. Uh, they, uh, I never got back before they had to go back to New York in school. So it's. Now, one could say not having me around is a plus, not a negative, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, if, if family is important, uh, the work got in the way uh, more than a share of times.
0: Well, since we've entered the family therapy portion of this conversation... There you go. That
1: wasn't my intention, <laughs> but as long we as We don't have work. to linger. It's okay. No. I, mean,
0: well,
3: it. I was going to say the guilt portion. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, so to the, the daughters, I mean, how do you make a decision to go into this industry, um, you know, knowing that as children of journalists and as people who, you know, women who wanted to have your own families, that, that this was a challenge? I mean, why did you choose this career path?
1: Ahead, <laughs> oh, Okay, I'll
0: take
2: this one. Don't worry, we're gonna get to you, Kate. No, you're bopping
0: in and out of the industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I mean, I guess I would answer that a couple ways. Um, there's the way that I always answer it, which is what I said about magazines, which is the truth. And but the reality is that um, I had a I had a hard time in college, and I had a hard time figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do. And um, uh, I sort of felt like this chose me uh, as much as anything. I mean, I I, I the, the the New York Post in the '90s was an amazing, amazing place to work. Um, tabloids in New York City in the '90s were amazing places to work, especially if you were if you were young and you wanted to hustle. Um, I think there's a side of me that always needs to be in motion, uh, and people can psychologically read into that whatever they want. But that there is something about going. There's two things about it that were appealing to me. One is that um, I. You are constantly sort of going from one, st- you know, you're you're always moving, and you get to start over every day. You know, I mean, each day, at least when it was a daily paper, right. it was. My husband always says this, you know, that it was a, it just was a chance to start fresh. And um, I don't think that I had, I mean, I had always, I had always, I think, decided that the thing I could never do would be a foreign correspondent. But this was, you know, long before the internet and long before the perpetual news cycle. And long before a president who tweets at 3 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, and a lot of this, and sort of to the, the thing that my, my father was saying about, um, you know, the, that, that Christmas trip, which I had actually forgotten until he raised it recently, even before this. Um, I thought I was going to be done with Trump on November 9th. I thought that um, I was going to be going back to seeing my children. All the time, and that is what I told my children, and I told them we just have to get through the campaign.
0: three of them and, right
2: and um, but only, only one of whom is really um, sort of old enough to understand what's happening and who's very, very smart and <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's sitting <laughs> there and, yep. and apparently well, wants people him. to know
2: he's here, but um,
1: <laughs> and who by the way, I might add is the best probably the best writer in the family and That's actually
2: true, but um, but uh, so I think that that's been hard on them um, in ways that uh, I wish I had avoided um, and that I wished I had had more th- forethought. But I also can't really imagine doing anything other than what I'm doing. And I do think that I have something to say about this presidency. And I think I have something that I have observed about this person over a very long period of time. And so those are the equities that I'm weighing. Yeah.
0: Joe, did you ever try to dissuade Kate from going into journalism? No. Why not?
3: <laughs> um, Especially but given because, the industry. Well, no, no, because right. Kate, twi- Kate tried to dissuade Kate from going into the industry. <laughs> I mean, that's really what happened. Mm. Um, she, she majored in um, anthropology. Sociology. 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 I was going to say anthropology. <laughs> so she majored in sociology in college and then um, landed in New York, not clear about what she wanted to do, but pretty clear that she didn't want to do journalism. She tried to get an internship at Time, Inc. That didn't work out. Did a series of um, weird jobs. I would say, and then um,
0: spoken like a true uh, dad. Yep. Lived lived in a series Yikes. of
3: weird apartments, and then and then one day just call, one day she just called and said, you know, I need to go to journalism school. Just like, oh, really? Um, and so I called um, uh, Nick Lemon, who was uh, the dean of Columbia, and also is her godfather, and I called um, Steve Shepard um, at Cooney, and they both said, you know, they what they basically said is. Graduate School in Journalism is exactly for somebody like this, and you know, they said, apply, and you did, and she went to CUNY, and uh, it's not quite the rest is history, but what I learned, what I, watching her at CUNY um, made me realize <clears throat> the degree to which uh, you know, they were focusing, yes, on newspapers, but also on um, you know, how to, how to be an online journalist, uh, how to be a digital journalist. Um, uh, and you could sort of see that that's, where things, that that's where things were headed, although Kate's first real job was night cops at the New York Daily News, a, an experience that I never had in my life but is so clearly the right way to, yes. to start. Um, and so I've always been happy <clears throat> that she was a journalist. And, um, because I, I think it's a great way to make a living. I want to just say one little quick story. You asked, how, when do you know that your daughter is your peer or your superior? Um, <laughs> and in my case, um, you know, Kate was at Politico, I think. And um, uh, she started telling me about um, uh, texting congressmen who were sitting at a hearing. Hmm. And the congressman would text back, and it's like, what? <laughs>
4: Give away my sources.
0: I didn't
5: say <laughs> <think> who it <laughs> I didn't was. Name them.
0: Yeah. Okay. you briefly, very briefly, I will add, yeah. left the industry and then yep. came back, and there was a pretty great story around why.
4: Yeah. Um, so I had just met my, well, not just, I had been dating my now husband for about four or five months, and I saw the presidential campaign on the horizon and thought to myself, if I go do that presidential campaign, I'm probably not gonna stay in this relationship. I, I just, you know, I, I just kind of knew that like that would be very disruptive to a very new relationship that I was enjoying and thought that, you know, maybe this could be it. Um, so, and I, and I also knew that if I did wanna keep pursuing this this life with the person who is now my husband, it's a very difficult job to Journalism in general is a very difficult job to do, to, to have a family, to maintain a relationship, to be a good partner. And, um, and so I left, I, I like quit. I went to a PR form, firm for about four months and then really did not like it. I think in about week two, I knew that it was not the, the right move for me and then went to, um, to Vox Media uh, and worked on the business side of things there for about eight months. Um, and that was fine and I could have like kept doing that, but I did get very bored and I was very miserable. And then, and my, my husband was then my fiance. And uh, so I got the ring uh, and I knew I wasn't <laughs> going anywhere. And uh, my, my, my boss, Ben Smith, in this very crazy way, called me on his way to the DNC and I uh, said, like, this is a crazy idea, but I heard you're effing miserable. Uh, that's the word on the street. <laughs> and I said, yeah. He said, do you, do, you want, do you want to come back? And I said, yep, I do. And so it was just a very <laughs> I appreciate to- that you yeah.
0: reeled him in first and then went back to your first love. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then we got married a week before the inauguration, so that was great. Have you seen him uh, yeah. since? Yeah,
4: no, we see
3: each other. So, that's okay. um. so th- there's a proud papa part of this story too, proud papa. So what she didn't say is Ben said, "Come back as the deputy bureau chief, and do some stuff that we need done." And then you know, you know, we'll at some point gonna look for a new bureau chief, and you'll get to stay as the deputy. And then they just then they in the course of this, they said, "Oh my goodness, you're doing such a great job." We don't want to bring anybody else in to ruin the chemistry. You're going to be the bureau chief. Yay!
0: For the dads, did you ever imagine that your daughters would be covering an administration like this? I mean, I guess to take it a step further, are, you know, are you ever uh, concerned about them or about their safety or about, I mean, this, yeah. is, this is a different time, obviously. Yeah.
1: I don't think anybody expected anybody would be covering an administration yeah, exactly. like this. So uh, <laughs> She doesn't right. have, uh, you know, monopoly on that one. But uh, okay. yeah, there are concerns. Uh, uh, there are a lot of crazies out there uh, and, you know, some of them are deplorable uh, and and some of them are, are uh, you know, for most of my career I didn't have to deal with social media. Uh, I didn't have to deal with uh, just the vituperation that's there. Uh, uh, when I, the, the worst for me was when I was uh, based in Jerusalem, and uh, the letters I would, you remember letters? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and and um, it was, I was there just before email came into all our lives. And and, and it was not, stop, you know, in four years of being based there, I never, literally never once got a letter that said, you're doing a good job. It was all, I was either uh, an anti-Semite or a self-hating Jew, if they figured out my, my own uh, religion. Uh, frankly, I'd rather be called an anti-Semite because there's no dignity in being a self-hating anything, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, it, so, but that was bad, but imagine it now and uh, on an intensely uh, emotional story for many people um, and you have all these avenues by which people can um, hurl uh, uh, dung at you. Uh, and, uh, and now that's the same thing for the White House correspondent, including uh, really raw letters sent her home, uh, which is clearly unacceptable. Uh, and uh, so, do I worry for his safety? Not, I guess, not really. But in the back of the mind is always the concern. Uh, again, uh, we we're uh, uh, we're a nation of uh, uh, that that's torn apart, and a lot of people. Uh, are armed," uh, I, he said. He I had, said I had on the asked, UT
0: campus. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, Emily.
1: Emily, before I, about what the open carry uh, situation is. Uh, I'd wanted uh, to know yeah. if
0: there were any any people in the audience who were going to be yes taking advantage packing, of campus
1: carrying. we packing. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, no. So it's there. Uh, there's no question. But um, I, I don't want to pretend it's a daily, you know, uh, obsession. But uh, on occasion. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. I mean, I don't think that I uh, get anything. Close to what Maggie probably experiences on a on a daily basis, Um, but I will like I I think that you learning about you dad learning about social media.
3: Oh, I knew this was going to come up.
4: (laughs) You know, just kind of it is. I I have I have in my career grown up with Twitter, basically. So I mean, maybe not like two thousand nine, but starting around two thousand ten, have have had. Uh, have had a Twitter handle and used it pretty regularly in the course of my reporting and in the last two three years it is it, it is a it is a dark place yes. there you know yes. and I really have to be very conscious of how much time and energy I spend looking at Twitter or looking at mentions and not getting into fights or like which fights do I actually want to get into and uh, this guy gets a Twitter like a year ago and is just you know fire, firing off tweets left and right, and, so sweet and sometimes we'll get like a little little phone call from me that's it's like, "Hey, bud, you might want to tone it down. might want to yeah. tone it down a little bit, just you know <laughs> saw that one. you might want to just like not respond also an option so
2: I've only done that I've only done that once. there's only one time that he ever tweeted when I I. I emailed and asked to he was trying to get me killed you um, um, responding to some of your no yeah. it was no. just very specific it was a, it involved it involved a very specific person but um the
1: um, and I was duly wrapped on the knuckles and they never, never did co- it again and, uh, sin no more no
2: but it will periodically email me about it no but it is true that Twitter is just it's it's a vile place I mean it's like it's like it's like it's like wandering into like some combination of The Walking Dead, slash, bar fight, slash. Yeah. And And, like the things that people feel like. I mean, I think about the letters that you used to get. He used to have this letter writer. It was actually my, one of my favorite stories of my father's um when I was growing up that he had this person who <laughs> used to write him a letter. It was like weekly or monthly, and it was Dear Mr. Haberman, I did not like your story of, you know, October 20th, yeah. 1987, <laughs> sincerely, blah blah. And then finally I think the last one was Mr. Haberman, I've not liked anything you've written between blah blah and like it's like 30 years or something. Yeah. But they were very they I were, love that guy. They were very polite. They were very, polite. Yeah. They were yeah. very yeah. and so and the, it used to be that the kind of like, you know written on a paper bag, scrawled with crayon letter was not the norm. I mean, that's just everything you now. Everything. And right. the things that people say on Twitter, you would never say to somebody's face. Like, right. So it's just, it, it's not really, um, it's not really helping the discourse.
1: Yeah. If I, if I were king, I would require uh, everybody on Twitter to use their real names. Right. And yes. And I would require, I it see. bothers me, and I've, I've struck out on this several times trying to persuade. Uh, my, my bosses uh, at the Times, uh, that online uh, reader comments should go by the exact same rules that we do for the letters uh, to the editor in the printed edition, yes. which is you have to stand up and acknowledge who you are. We are not yet a country where guys in jackboots uh, come to your house at 3 in the morning to rouse you because you've said an unpopular thing. Uh, you should be able to stand up for it. And so this. Uh, Firing from ambush is unacceptable to me and, uh, and cowardly while we're at it, and so uh, um, but I've gotten nowhere with this suggestion, and I don't <laughs> expect ever to get anywhere no there's a
2: weird, there's a thing about, and then I'll let this go, but there is a thing about users on the internet, and this has actually been interesting to me because my, my training is not online journalism, my training is print journalism um, there's this thing this came up when when CNN did something about the Reddit user who had made that video that the president retweeted of the train hitting right. someone CNN. with a CNN logo. CNN. Yeah. And there was, there was an uproar that, um, that CNN had, quote unquote, doxed the guy. Okay. And you, know, I, you can make an argument about whether CNN should have been the, the outlet to actually pursue this, um, given that they were the subject of it. But the basic premise was the Reddit Online user rules are anonymity, therefore, other people should honor that. And when the President of the United States is retweeting the person, like, I, I, I guess I'm just, it's I'm sort of. I'm losing the, the, the plot here. Um, so, and that is a that is a different level of navigation than I think either of these two ever had. Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: I'm curious what what some of the other ways are that your careers are different than your father's careers, or vice versa. I mean, you know, I have really clear memories of you know my mom having her sort of work terminal in our house. You know, there were no laptops even then, and I could hear from my bedroom the dial up internet. You know, when she had to log on after I went to bed. I mean, it's it's and neither of my parents were sitting. In bed, looking at Donald Trump's tweets first thing in the morning. I mean, it is the sort of urgency and 24/7. You know, once the presses went to bed, they were generally yeah. done for the night.
1: Well, the first sound she heard was not, you know, of some computer. It was of a typewriter. Yes. As with letters, remember those. Uh, and um, so, it, you know, it—it it was. I guess we're sort of saying what we've been saying that. Uh, I, I just don't understand how uh, these guys do it now. Uh, the the nonstop demands are are extraordinary. I mean, by comparison, I was a pretty hard worker. Still am, for that matter. I'm on the editorial board at The Times, uh, but um, I mean, I had a whole day to report most of the time, and then write in the evening. I, I feel like Arnold Toynbee uh, compared to. Uh, What it is now in terms of being able to have oh god I actually had three hours to think about this, Uh, so it's it's a different and I'm not by any means demeaning the the quality of the work quite the opposite I am in awe of the high caliber uh, work that Maggie uh, and all her colleagues produce under extraordinary pressures that uh, I didn't have uh, I had certain ties but nothing like this.
2: My my one thing I want to say about that is my my. I mean, I do, I do a very different kind of journalism than he did. Um, he was a bureau chief. He had a, a very focused job, um, and it was overseas. I'm a, I'm a source reporter, so that's usually, and I'm very sort of scoop-focused. But so most of the way I do my job is about relationships, which is why popping off at of people on Twitter is really not serving myself well. But, um, but the person who I actually would say I learned that from, honestly, is my mother, who um, did work at the New York Post also, met my father there. Um, but left to go into PR. And, you know, anyone I ever speak to about my mother, my mother's, like, beloved by this whole university. My mother's just an exceptional contact maintainer. But my memory of my mother when we were growing up is that um, my mother was always on the phone. And that's both good and bad, right? So, I mean, like, I just sort of feel like he gets this rap about having been always busy. But, you know, my mom, my mom had her own kind of thing, but that is, for better or worse, where I have learned about just sort of constantly being in contact. Um, and that really never ends these days. It's yes. less about the tweets, it's less about any of it. It's that when you can text somebody and you can reach them all the time. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, the, it, the tools are different. I mean, we, we, we doing, we're doing the same thing today that we were doing 30 years ago, That's true. but the tools are different. I, right. I, uh, and I have these memories myself, but I happened to watch All the President's Men not all that long ago, and, um, and, and also Spotlight. Mm. And in both of those movies, there's no internet, right? That's so correct. in All the President's
0: there's Men. There, in Spotlight. In Spotlight. there
3: was a must be. Like right? Well, Spotlight. I want uh, to. Let me what? finish. The, <laughs> there, <laughs> might, there might be. There might be. Fact checking
0: on stage. Yeah.
3: In, in All the President's <laughs> Men, they're trying to find somebody. And um, Woodward goes to the library, the post library, and he starts looking up phone books Detroit, yes. Minneapolis, LA. Right. In Spotlight, they're trying to find these priests who've been transferred. And they pull out these Catholic priest directories year by year by year. And they just go through one, 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 yeah. one, 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 one. And you know, when I would start a story for Texas Monthly or, or a Fortune, I would, I, would go, I would start by going to the library, Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature. Then I would find out what the trade publication is. You get the trade publication in a second. Now, I, would tra- I remember once traveling to Pennsylvania, and sitting down for two days in the office of the trade publication of the breast implant uh, uh, litigation, <laughs> and just going through, go, just going through it. And now you can do that in five minutes. It's a, good uh, point. it's a really good point. I
4: think that, like, I think that the the basic sort of ten, that's why I love that I started my career at at the Daily News, door knocking, you know, sticking out, doing the same kind of like I, I think that sort of basic. Tenants of journalism, tenants of how to do the job stay the same. It's the pace and time that you have to do something. I remember, I mean, you would have like, you were a magazine writer, which is obviously different than what Maggie or I do for a living, but you would have like six months to report a story. Not that. I mean, (laughs) it Not that
3: that much. And
4: then I remember, and then like the month of writing where it was like you would be locked in his office. I also think that sort of the track to how you get to where you are, it, it has changed a lot. Um, like for someone entering journalism today, you, guys, you, you, could, you could start kind of at the bottom at a very like mm-hmm. local paper and then work your way up. There was a very kind of specific career track. It was kind of the same way at like the Post or the Daily News where you started out as a copy kid and then... That's right. worked your way up through the yeah. years and right.
2: I I don't think that track really no. exists It still it still sort of does at places like the post but that's pretty yeah that's pretty my, really
3: rare my career has more morphed more towards what you guys do I, know. I started as a ma- I really did I mean it would take four months to write a story not six four <laughs> and and now now I work for Bloomberg and Shoot. if uh, I'm not writing by two o'clock in the afternoon I'm feeling guilty I mean uh,
0: welcome to our world
3: <laughs> yeah to
4: exactly. learn you
0: had to learn exactly.
4: and um
3: you know, I tweet because I feel, well, I tweet because I like it after, right. but, but also, I mean, it's definitely part of my job. I mean, at the time, I didn't have to think about it that much because you had a much bigger platform. I'm at Bloomberg now, and, you know, I want people to read my stuff, and tweeting is one way to do that.
0: I want, to, I want to talk about the role of, of women in media and how that's changed over sort of the course of your careers and, and mm-hmm. even your daughters' careers. I mean, your daughters are not just two of the most consequential female journalists in America. They're two of the most consequential journalists in right. America. Stop. You know, how has that changed over the course of your careers? Where, you know, Were women given even nearly those kinds of opportunities when you were starting out?
1: No, no, no. I mean, it, it's a world of difference and, and all for the better. Um, the um, my first job in the newspaper was while I was still in college uh, in New York as a copy boy uh, at the Times, starting in 1964. Uh, and indeed, uh, we were all male. Uh, there were no uh, entry level positions like that for for young women. Uh, uh, and at some point, stopped using the word boy because that became problematic. But. Uh, um, I then went to the New York Post uh, in a pre murdoch uh, phase. He hastily added, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and and the publisher was a woman, Dorothy Schiff, and she hired more. There were more women on the staff of the New York Post, uh, which was not a huge staff, by the way, than there were on all the other New York newspapers combined. Uh, uh, and there were a bunch of newspapers still then, uh, and. So yeah, the whole world uh, is different. Uh, There's a great book called, uh, I think it's called "Women in the Balcony," uh, uh, about the Times and lawsuit against the Times by a a bunch of women who work there. Uh, The stories of 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 just raw sexism uh, are uh, are notorious. Uh, And I just was reminded of this the other day. Uh, There's a An journalism organization in New York called the Silurians, which I think is an ancient Greek word for geezer, Uh, (laughs) uh, basically veteran reporters. Uh, And uh, we had a guest speaker at a lunch the other day, Floyd Abrams, who uh, is a First Amendment attorney uh, and was the Times attorney in the famous Pentagon Papers case back in 1971. And uh, sitting at my table with me was a woman named Linda Amster who was a chief researcher at the Times. And she was telling me, I didn't know this, that uh, uh, when it came time to publish uh, all this stuff in some sort of book form, her name was not put on it and if she was specifically told by a senior editor there that, you know, maybe at another point, you know, women will get their name on it. I, even for 1971 or two by the time this book came out, I think that's shocking. Uh, so this is all to the good and uh, uh, the change. But it's easy to forget how, um, how different it was, um, not just because of traditional roles assigned to uh, uh, married couples in the main uh, uh, back then, but uh, frankly, out-and-out sexism. And, the, and the, uh, the Times is hardly unique in this regard. It wasn't, it wasn't a model to be uh, Time, Inc. Time, Inc. Carol
3: Loomis, uh, the great Carol Loomis, who just recently retired, maybe the greatest business writer, uh, magazine writer of her time, uh, used to tell stories about how, when she started as a researcher at Time, the way it, the way it worked is the, at, at Fortune, the, she and the male correspondent would travel to Texas to interview a CEO, and she would sit here. And the writer would sit here. And the CEO would sit here. And the, 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 the writer didn't take a note. He just did this. Right. And right. she would take all the notes. And then at night, she would type them up. right, And then they'd go back. And he would, she would hand him the notes. And they would kind of devise the outline together. He'd write the story. Frankly, she was probably a better writer. She would probably rewrite it, and it would have his name on it. And that's how it worked for years and years and years. And
1: Newsweek was the exact same way. There was a show based on yes, the good book show. Good Girls Revolt. The star of it actually was a friend of our family. And uh, I wish it had been renewed for another year, but it wasn't. But, uh, uh, but it was about... Uh, basically, based on a, a, a final, a revolution in the early '70s by by young women at at, the, at Newsweek of you know we're mad as hell and we're not going to take this anymore.
4: I'm, I'm not saying that things are like 100% better all the time, but it, it's really awesome to be in Washington and look around and see like people people like Maggie, people like Carrie Bootoff Brown, who's running Politico, Shawna Thomas, who's running Vice running the Texas Tribune here. I don't know why my mic's like that. Uh, it's just like, it, it, it has been, it, it, it is pretty cool to look around and see so many women
0: in and charge.
2: There's still more to go though. Yeah, absolutely. There's still a lot more to go. Sure. And
0: your, your father's talked sort of uh, you know, wistfully about work-life balance. And obviously we know tons of women leave this industry because of it. Has there been any improvement at either of your workplaces? I mean, how, do you guys have any semblance
2: of a work-life balance? No. <laughs> But that's but to be fair, I don't think that that is. I mean, that's an, that I is think it's actually more to, to do me. With me than,
4: mm-hmm.
2: What's that? It has to
4: do more like I don't either. But I think it has more to do with me. Than S- than
2: yeah, like. same. And I think it's actually like a semblance of the of of equal, sort of equal opportunity. I mean, I don't think I'm working any less than he did. Um, I don't. Oh. I don't think that. No, I think the You're difference not. is that the difference is that most of my um, most of my colleagues don't have most of my colleagues on the politics team. At the times did not have families. That is the difference. That right. is the, the fundamental so. difference. Um, most of my colleagues in the Washington bureau do. So. But
1: I think there is a certain inherent um, gender issue, in a question I get all the time. I am constantly asked. Uh, people tell me how wonderful Maggie is, and she is. And then the, almost the second, almost automatically, the second sentence is, "I don't know how she does it, right. raising three kids." I don't think very many male reporters with. Two or three kids get that said.
2: Somebody asked me the other day at a dinner, and I will them. decline to say where the dinner was. Asked me when they looked, they said, "I didn't know you had three children." It was seven o'clock at night. Who's feeding your children right now? Oh. I've yeah. never <laughs> been asked something like that. Now I have I, to ask my, where my you were. My jaw <laughs> later, um, but, uh, but but yeah, there yeah. is there is still yeah. an inherent an inherent yeah. difference. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we're, pretty soon we're going to open it up to questions, but before we do, I just want to go down the line and and I want to ask. If, if you weren't related to the other, what is the one question you would ask of your daughter or father as a
2: journalist? Oh my god.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. What Damn. a question. Uh, god. Uh, um, what right? would I ask? Yeah. Um, what are you uh, getting your son for his birthday in a <laughs> few days? Uh,
0: no, no, you're not related. No. So, oh, yes. we're not related. Right.
1: What would I ask? Uh, what, what
0: would you ask about her career?
1: Um, wow. wow. Joe, can I pass that <laughs> yeah, to you? Yeah, I would ask.
3: So I would ask, uh, you seem to be having so much fun as a reporter. Why did you go into management? Good question. Oh, good question. It's a great question.
0: Should I answer it Do you want me <laughs> to answer? You, you can, or you can just fire back Oh, your I, just, I I really love managing people, and I love the opportunities to like, work with new reporters. That's it. Fire I love back. Kate. So, what's I your question for that. your dad? I don't know. Um, <laughs> come on, you guys ask questions for a living.
1: How'd you get fun? Not, no, not no. on stage like this. Not on stage. <laughs>
0: We can rectify that.
1: To I guess yeah. I would ask the inevitable so, what is Donald Trump like question, but I'm not going to do that. All right, Kate.
4: Why did you leave the New York Times?
3: That's a good question.
2: That was, had that was, zots. <laughs>
1: That's a really
3: good question. <laughs> yeah.
2: What's the answer?
3: Um, I could see the handwriting on the wall. What That's
2: was why. that
0: handwriting?
3: The handwriting was, you know, your time is up. So... And I was on the op-ed page and I was moved to the sports page. That's kind of a pretty clear signal. Mm-hmm.
2: I'd ask him what his favorite assignment was. But I would ask him that
1: anyway. Right. <laughs> My favorite assignment. My favorite assignment was probably, for, despite all that I said earlier, was probably Jerusalem uh, in the sense of the passions that were there on both sides of, of the green line, so to speak. And, but also within especially Israeli society because I was there at a time when there was still, I mean, almost everybody who got there got there through a very interesting story because there were still a lot of Holocaust survivors. Uh, uh, anyway, it, it, it was, it was uh, engrossing. But you know, to tell you the truth, I find, and I think this is, is going to be a very uh, vain sounding thing, but I think one hallmark of a, of a good journalist is, I get interested in whatever the hell I'm working on yeah. at the moment, yeah. and yes. it becomes mostly what I care about totally. at that point, and, and that's never faded, frankly. So, uh, um, so I guess my favorite assignment, as is, is cliche as is it's going to sound, is the next one. <laughs>
0: Good one. All right. Well, we're ready for the next question, so uh, please join us right there at that microphone. <laughs> We've got our first question right there.
1: Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, stop. Seriously? <laughs> this is a series.
3: Oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. This is an actual series question, not a uh, repeat
4: question that I
0: usually ask. Um,
1: why? Why did people call you an anti-Semite? Oh, oh. That's a good question. Good yeah. question. Yeah. What a tough question. <laughs> um, um, because if they didn't know I'm Jewish, and your mom, and you, and you, um, they, it was mostly from people who would fall on what's usually called the political right wing uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian question. And the assumption always was that anybody who writing for the New York Times was by definition against Israel, uh, 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 an accusation I have strongly reject. Uh, uh, but I won't go into detail, but so the assumption was there must be something. Uh, some hatred of, of, of Jews there, and which is you know patently absurd, uh, but it was it was a, a painful thing uh, to have to hear. Uh, uh, I wish my th- my skin was thicker than it is uh, in this regard. I wouldn 't be surprised if your mom wishes that uh, her uh, her skin was thicker too, and on any given day. Never. Uh, <laughs> Let it all fall off. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so it, 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 it's painful to have accusations like that. The truth is, you know, no matter what the fellow in the White House now says, that no matter what these kind of accusations are, m- virtually all professional journalists I've known over the years, Max, are really care about getting it right, yes. and. Uh, and doing a good job. There are exceptions, and we've had our share of bums, but uh, but uh, <laughs> but most people I know want to be fair-minded and, and tell the story uh, correctly, uh, so. Thank you. Good yes. question, though.
5: Um, thanks very much for your sharing of your, your inner, your feelings for each other and, and everything in your profession. <laughs> I I'm, I'm, um, said. <laughs> I know, and I think everyone in this room kind of knows, you know if something's a good source of information or reliable or not. The New York Times, and Wall Street Journal, uh, and a few others, the, the latter are not always in agreement. But I trusted, anyway, to give me the truth. And I remember back to, I said, where's our Walter Cronkite? I mean, the difference now is, is we just kind of had limited sources of information, and there was one guy that everybody trusted. I don't think you ever Disagreed, or, or he ever, there was any other, ever any scandal, but now it's so spread out. Do you foresee a, a place that eventually where, and, and I'm I was just thinking about it's one of the few times I was moved seeing something up on a building, but it's right up here in front of the building. It says, Ye shall know the truth, and the I truth shall set ye <laughs> free. And that just kind of says it all. So how do we get to that place?
1: Well, I don't think we're ever going to have a Walter Cronkite again. We're too diffuse uh, in our business, too many outlets, too many sources. Uh, um, So I don't think we, and maybe we we shouldn't have one, you know. And even Walter Cronkite was uh, flawed, for God's sakes. Uh, So, um, um, but there are still sources that are trustworthy. Do they get it wrong? Yeah, Um, often enough.
3: Kate's first uh, front page story was uh, about Walter
1: Cronkite. It's about him
2: dying. <laughs> that I'm dying?
1: <laughs> <laughs> dying, well.
2: I think that it's a really good question. I mean, I do think that, I think that my dad is right that you can't um, just the internet has just made it. That we, and it isn't just the internet. I mean, if we're, if, we're, if we're being honest, I mean, some of it is cable, and a lot of it is certainly Fox News. Um, but uh, I think that, I mean, people, I think my dad's point earlier about just trying to get it right. Is ultimately what what the goal has to be, and the difference between, you know, I mean, I, I have had more than my share of corrections, but I also have had more than my share of stories this last year. Yeah. So that I'm gonna I'm gonna do it toward ratio. Um, but uh, the difference is that when we're wrong, we correct, um, you know, and that's at the end of the day. If people are looking for what the reliable, I mean, I agree with my father. There should not be the the one oracle. I think that's dangerous. Um, and I think that's not a good way to think. But I do think that looking for who is trying to get it right, the, the proof is really right in front of you. So.
1: One of my favorite movies, just very quickly, is Breakfast at Tiffany's. And there's a scene uh, at the end when Holly Golightly wants to run off to Brazil. And she says, I want you to call the New York Times and get me the names of the 50 richest men in Brazil. She's going to go try and marry there. I don't think if they ever remade Breakfast at Tiffany's, they would <laughs> say that anymore. Right. Because again, the the notion of the New York Times as being the place you go to for stuff like that that's that's gone, or the one place you go to. The I one. Think.
3: I heard you all describe um, the speed of things now and the tyranny of the urgent and the dark urgent of the uh, Twitter and all that. How do you personally take a deep breath, step back
1: in that maelstrom of and and, and get the insights and do the work, and also that you're doing it in a day versus you know, four right. months or whatever. How do, you, how do you do that psychologically and professionally? It's
3: really hard, it's really, really hard. Maggie? The, and the, re, the reason I just want to answer this quickly is because for the first time in my life, I'm actually in this position.
1: Mm.
3: Mm. I work for an organization now where um, when you finish one column, you start the next. And at the times when I was writing a twice-weekly column, it was Tuesday and Friday. So Wednesday, I could always breathe. I could always breathe on Wednesday, knowing that I'd gear up for the next week. And now there's no time to do that. Um, and so, you know, I, th- I honestly think the time to reflect I, I, is the weekend, which is really doing great for my current family, for I, my my new family. Um, I've got a seven-year-old. And, uh, <laughs>
4: Just FYI, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not with my mom. <laughs> I'm
3: glad we got that cleared up.
0: <laughs> took a while till almost the end. I mean, what about the what about the two of you? It's obviously relentless, and there are there's no such thing as a weekend anymore, right? No.
2: No. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think for me it's, and, and Kate, I think we'll actually have a different and probably better perspective on this, because she gets, does get to step back more because she's management. I mean, for, just for me as reporting, um, I mean, this is where like being on Twitter all the time is a terrible thing, honestly, because you do think that what you're seeing on Twitter is what's real and it's not. Um, but it's often not, anyway, um, in terms of what matters. It, one of Trump's, it's, it's an ongoing challenge that I don't have a great answer for in the Trump era. Um, I have a couple of really good colleagues who are very helpful at getting me to step back. I am. I am by training um, a beat reporter. Just the thing about you were talking about, you know, sort of the cops beat. Like that's sort of how you start out at a tabloid. Um, I didn't do cops, but I did do courts and I did city hall, and I still cover everything that way, which is cover all things and don't get beat, which is just impossible with Trump because you will go crazy, um, and and die from fatigue. So, um, I have developed. Something of an internal system over the last two years of covering him, and this is where having covered the campaign is really, really helpful. I think the people who didn't cover the campaign are at a disadvantage um, of trying of figuring out what actually matters in terms of what he's doing versus what doesn't. And that's and then and then just taking a moment to reflect back on, just go through your notebook. You know, he did this opioids um, announcement in Bedminster on August 10th, saying this is a national emergency. Well, he said it, but he didn't actually put any declaration into effect. And they're still fighting within the administration about what the funding mechanism would be, and would you do it under the Stafford Act, or do it under the Public Health Act. And so nothing has actually happened. And I went back and did a story about how nothing has actually happened. Um, Reminding people of the things he said he would do that actually matter, to me, is is a big importance of staying sane and not, whoa, can you believe what he just did? Like, that's just like, that's grown old. But do you disagree? Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, no, I mean, I think that for for us, when Trump, when Trump got elected, it was the biggest story in the world, and it meant every yeah. single other desk all of a sudden, ha- like, totally, it touches every single part of our newsroom. And so totally. I uh, initially was dragged into a lot of conversations, just like, you know, the, okay. the tech team would reach out and, uh, you know, be really involved on the breaking news desk. And, like, I just didn't have a moment to kind of, Step back and think about my team, and step back and think about what we were doing in Washington, because every story had to do with Trump, and my time and attention was needed in a lot of different places. Um, I've hired a couple of people, which is nice, uh, so I'm able to delegate a little bit more, and then also just being kind of slightly pickier about where where we're going to light our hair on fire. You know, I think that I think that in the initial couple months it was just everyone everything was like 10 alarms yes, and it's sometimes is and sometimes isn't and I have had to learn a little bit more about where that line is mm-hmm. yes. I have a question uh, for Maggie and Kate about your relationship with your fathers in terms of are there things that you you, you know you talked about the Twitter being a dark place are there things that you protect your fathers from?
2: It's mm-hmm. an interesting question. Yeah,
1: I'd like to know what they are.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I would too. Kate? No, I mean they're all on.
4: They're they're on Twitter. Yeah. Know? I mean they see it like that. Yeah. It's all. It's all out there. So. Yeah. yeah
2: I, there's not a lot of hidden these days. Not yeah. just On Twitter, but. In your, in your uh.
4: Careers. No, I mean I think my dad's like an incredible resource. But he's been a really good resource for me, um, too. Just especially like in the last couple of months, at being a like being a manager and transitioning into management. And he ran Fortune magazine. He mentored other journalists. You know, that being kind of in that mid-level, uh, with editor in chief above you and reporters below you, like how to kind of deal with all of that. And so, I've I've leaned on you a lot. Which I'm do that. very happy about. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I haven't. I actually haven't done much. Of, I will, what I would say. I was thinking about it when you were talking. We actually have sort of a different dynamic in the sense that when I f- was becoming a reporter, I was covering the Giuliani administration in the final uh, term, and he was a columnist who was uh, attacking the Giuliani administration um, on a near weekly basis. Um, and no, so weekly, weekly <laughs> basis. Sometimes, sometimes, but twice weekly. Um, and so I had to just for my own sort of. Not really for appearances, but also just for honestly reality, just to keep my my blinders on, yeah we wouldn't really talk about it, and honestly, I think that that has been generally how we 've handled things we don't talk about politics very often no. um, I no. mean you know he has he has me and my family and my siblings' families over every couple of weeks, and we don't really have these conversations because um, one of the great things that a columnist gets to do is say what they think all the time. One of the dangers of Twitter is people start creeping toward that. Um, I, I am a reporter. And so I have to just cover whoever is in front of me. And I like to try to cover them all the same in terms of my approach to them, um, which is a challenge with the Trump folks, just because if they, more than anyone else I've ever covered, have a penchant for not telling the truth on things. Um, but I, because of that, I don't think it's shielding, but it's certainly not a shared experience the same way. Yeah, I think oh, that's
0: right. I'm going to pull a nepotism card and call on my dad.
5: I'd like, to, <laughs> I'd like to follow
1: up on that and ask under the current administration, how do you know you're being told the truth? How do you discern the truth from your White House sources these days?
2: The question of the ages. Um, so uh, my colleague, Alex Burns, um, who was also a frequent collaborator of mine, both at The Times and at Politico, we covered the campaign together. Um, he's not on the White House beat, um, but he's one of the people who I trust more than anyone in this world. Uh, and we were very open with each other about where we were hearing things from because it was the only way to establish. Everybody has an agenda in, in a way that I've never really seen before around Trump. Um, and this isn't normal team of rivals stuff, this is like teams of the Bloods and the Crips. And so. Um, <laughs> So we would tell each other sort of what we were hearing and where we were hearing it from, and we would try to arrive at, a, at some common boiled down nub of where the agreed upon facts were. And if there was anything questionable, we would take it out of the story because we knew that, A, because it shouldn't be in the story, number one, but number two, even if we had sourcing that was good, if there was still any opportunity that somebody was going to take to seize on that one detail and use it to pull the rest of the story apart, um, that was problematic. And I think that we really have reached a point now um, in our coverage uh, of him as the president where we're doing something pretty similar. Um, but it's taken a while because, uh, because in a presidency, as as you know, there's uh, so much right brain, left brain, middle brain. I mean, there are so many different angles uh, and different teams of reporters involved, to Kate's point, about how this touches everything. Uh, but the, the, the short answer is it's really hard. Um, and and some of it is is just familiarity with the players, Um, but but it is uh, is the biggest challenge of covering this White House.
0: All right, well unfortunately we are out of time. I just need to let you all know before we wrap up that the Trib has arranged for a sampling of Austin's premier food trucks to serve lunch under the UT Tower on the main mall. Um, Programming today will resume at 1.45. Please join me in thanking our